Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 262. Driving requires consciousness, attention to detail. We can't be complacent when we're driving, especially on the highway. We share it with ourselves and others. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer, Dwight Knowlton, has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E-Gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Bob Green. Bob, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm all ready, yep, and I'm, I've got them snugged up. Good, great, great to have you here. Bob Green is a master instructor at Skip Barber Racing Schools and this, the director of SurviveTheDrive.org. For over 22 years, Bob has taught students the skills needed for high-performance driving, racing, and emergency highway procedures. Survive the Drive is an educational community service, automotive violence prevention program focused on high school-age novice drivers. The goal is to teach them skills using a research-based approach to proper behavior behind the wheel and crash prevention. What a wonderful thing, and we're going to learn more about that as we move through the show here. Bob, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career, your interests, and of course your passion for driving automobiles really fast? Well, I started as a high school teacher, actually. But before that, I think when I was 15, I spent my uh, newspaper money buying an Austin 10, 1947, before I even had a license. And I think that car would be in a museum now if I had actually been able to keep it. Very cool. But we went to my cousin's farm, my, my uncle's farm, and he had a Model A that we used to drive around the lots. And I think I was nine when I sat on a sheet of plywood not to get punched or pinched by the uh, springs on the seat, and we drove around the lots there, and that was the most exciting thing until I went to a small oval track in Danbury, Connecticut at the fairgrounds, and that was bloody exciting, and didn't really think that that was a career option for me until much, much later. But when I was in high school, four kids were killed in my classes, and I wrecked my dad's car. As I was in high school, as a high school teacher, I saw some bad things happening, and uh Somehow got into the racing thing and uh, had a small construction company. I helped out a guy with a, uh, he had a sprint car and dirt modified and, and kind of crewed with that while I got my kids through college. And I started racing late in life, but 
uh, had an academic uh, background, and the Skip Barber folks saw what I was doing locally because their headquarters was here. And pretty soon I was in Detroit developing curriculum for uh, auto manufacturer programs. So I started in the back door from racing. I never won a championship, but I raced a bunch. I had a little Formula B and was pretty good at that. Working with Skip Barber, a lot of opportunities opened. So pretty soon I was I was at MIT giving programs there. They sent me over to Austria, to Vienna, Austria, to a conference over there. I've driven across parts of the Saudi desert, driven most of the major tracks in the U.S., but most of what I was pretty good at was coaching and, and uh, uh, instructing. And that really led into the Survive the Drive program because on the side, uh, I was able to start talking to groups of high school kids. And so I go in and do assemblies at high school kids. I talk to 400 kids at a time, trying to talk them out of wrecking their parents' cars. <laughs> and, and we do it through science and behavior. We don't just try to show them gory pictures or mutilated bodies. There are other programs that do that. Uh, we found that you know what we want them to take out of it is not due to sadness or threats. It should be by understanding. And so that's kind of developed into its own its own program. And we're actually going to do a hands-on program at Lime Rock using the infield test circuits, not just for high school kids, for anybody. Because I think the first time anybody really has to put on their brake, kind of all of a sudden, uh, boom, man, things happen quick. <laughs> yes. When things go wrong, I mean, you know, you've seen a dead squirrel by the side of the road, and that squirrel can't be taught to cross the road safely. But I think everybody that I should talk to uh, is smarter than that. But people make mistakes, and these mistakes can be tragic. So the Survive the Drive program kind of developed out of some, some Skip Barber programs that I'd been involved with. But, you know, it's kind of interesting to be a, a race car driving coach and also telling people to pay attention on the highway. You know, I always say, uh, wow, that's all it takes. <laughs> I'm awake you know. now. <laughs> And I'm an SAE member, an associate member, but I've given presentations at SAE conferences. And the SAE and, and the government are, are trying to depend almost totally on technology taking over the driver's job because they can't be trusted. You know, <laughs> you know I went to a conference at MIT once and the automotive engineer got up and said, uh, driving is too dangerous to allow anybody to do. For an educator, I think that uh, we wouldn't train our airline pilots the way we train drivers and so between the race car driving which is intensive intensive concentration on details and a lot of people think that race car drivers have to be brave they really have to be just absolutely talented to develop the talent and to learn the skills and the tech to be able to manage the car at its ultimate efficiency we don't need that efficiency on the highway unless something's in the way and we got to miss it. <laughs> Absolutely. At that, point, at that point, a lot of people just give up. And I have a term for most drivers, and that is because most drivers consider themselves to be good drivers, and they, they can be a bad driver within seconds. If you fall asleep driving, you're going to crash shortly after. And so it requires consciousness. But I call what most people think about their own driving delusions of adequacy. <laughs> well... As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. Bob, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. 
Well, I think I've driven a Viper, a Dodge Viper, more than most people who have actually owned one. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Viper Company, certainly, and, and daily on racetracks, wheeling the tires and, and spinning the wheels. And luckily, it's not my car and not my tires. <laughs> but that's always been a rush. Working at a racetrack and being involved in racing has always been a rush. But when I go to a high school, I feel the energy of all these kids. And there's a lot of random energy and trying to focus them on something that they're going to be doing the entire rest of their life. I mean, you and I are going to drive until our kids take our keys away. <laughs> and uh, and I'd say, you know, it only takes one mistake to be pretty tragic. So the success of the Survive the Drive program is, you know, I feel very passionate about that. But man, put me behind the wheel and I'll press the pedals. I'm the pace car driver for Lime Rock for the last 15 years, so I get out in front of, uh, well, old GTP cars and historic Ferraris and Alfa Romeos, and but it's just a, it's just a festival, you know. I mean, I, I've learned how to have a real good time with the time I got, and I don't have that much time left, so I better do it all. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talk about going back to loving cars since you were little, but is there one moment in time when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, I think when I let the clutch out on that Model A at my uncle's farm, I knew I wanted to be moving. And I probably misbehaved too much when I was a high school kid. And so I was uh, squealing the tires way too much. But the idea was that the performance of the car was greater than most people experience. And sure. if you can manage that, that's pretty wonderful. But when I took a Skip Arbor program, I had been a crewman on race cars and, and going to Reading Fairgrounds one time with my buddy and seeing the sprint car race. And he had bought a sprinter and, uh, on the dirt and just it was just so enthralling. Uh, <laughs> yes. You put the needle in the arm at some point. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or a great failure you faced along the way in your career. And the part about this question that's important is how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, the first thing I did when I was hired by the Skip Arbor Company was go straight to Detroit and they put me in a, in a boardroom to develop a national training program for dealership folks. And I had never been in that environment before. You know, I had an academic background, but all of a sudden I'm in a, in a situation which is, let's say, highly charged with uh, very, very uh, accomplished people. And I sat back and listened and learned and listened and learned and, and eventually got on the computer and developed a curriculum that was used by Chrysler Motor Company in all 50 states. So it was um, trial by fire. And then when I started with the Skip Barber Company, I was a guy who was working with Vic Belford, you know, or Jim Pace or people who were extremely accomplished. And I had to step up to the plate and be uh, a viable coach with the technical background. You know, and I could express myself and do the coaching. And uh, some of my students, uh, well, Ryan Hunter Ray is an IndyCar racer now and AJ Allmendinger is in uh, NASCAR. So some of these young people, when they start, they start, well, maybe from karting, but to step up to the plate with a highly professional organization out of my realm of experience, I thought was very challenging, and um, I'm happy to have done it. Very cool. Vic Elford's been a guest here on Cars, yeah? And uh, uh -huh. one of the first times I got in a car and drove fast was uh, sitting next to Vic way back when Porsche was doing their Porsche driving experience back in the 80s. 
And uh, so, uh, yeah, it was kind of fun to come full circle back around and get to talk to him again. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share with me a real aha moment that happened in your career. Tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success. I was a high school teacher for a number of years in special ed with delinquent kids. I had all of the uh, kids with with, uh, jail and and arrest records. Oh, goodness. Uh, Oh, yeah. And then uh, they cut the funding on my program, and I started a construction company because I'd always built houses to put myself through college and all. And I was a pretty successful builder and um, was still helping out another other folks with their racing because I didn't have any money putting my kids through college like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Got a chance to work for the Skip Barber Company. And at that time, Skip owned it. It's gone through several several ownerships now, you know, for them to, you know, I dropped a very successful career to try something new. And, you know, once in a while in your life, you say, you know, I don't want to be in this room for 15 more years. I don't (laughs) want to sit at this desk for 10 more years. You know, my boss doesn't appreciate me or whatever. But when you have a certain amount of opportunity and you have a little bit of understanding of how to do it, and you have to be confident enough to make that step. My aha moment when I'm driving a car, certainly if I'm doing hot laps on the track or something like that, it's continuous ha-ha. <laughs> Very cool. How about proudest moments? I assume you've had many in your career, but is there one in particular you could share with us? Well, um, <laughs> boy, I've got, I'm pretty pretty perplexed at that. One of the things I did was uh, drove from Dubai to Oman a couple times before 9-11, and um, I was with some friends, and they kept getting stuck. And uh, I'd get them out. And I said, uh, you guys are going to die out here. And then when I got them out the second time, because you always the sand on the Saudi desert is like flour. And if you stop, you sink. And you can be sunk. I mean, really sunk. And uh, the fellows looked at me and said, um, do you know where the road is? We want to get back to the road. And I said, well, if you drive 2,500 miles that way, you'll be in Jerusalem. 2,500 miles. <laughs> oh, geez. So that, that was kind of a moment, but there, there have been a lot of moments like that, you know, and, and you know, the birth of my children. Mm-hmm. One, oh, yeah. You know, there have been some wonderful things in life, but the automotive stuff has been almost continuous. Yeah. And uh, Memorial Day, I'll be in the pace car with the Trans Am race and the vintage race and the cool. Lime Rock Club race. And so, even though I'm not pressing the pedals in a race car, I'm still involved in the business. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Yeah. Tell me about your first really special vehicle and perhaps a memory you have with that car. And it could be a race car too, if you'd like. Okay. Well, the, the first car was one I bought before I got before I had my license. It was twenty five bucks, and and I spent my newspaper money on it through college and like that. I always wanted a car that was just a little bit special. So instead of a Volkswagen Bug, I had a Carmen Ghia. Ah, I had a Carmen Ghia when I was in high school. Yep, yep. yep. Just a little bit, a little bit edgier, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, pretty much unable to purchase anything very exotic. So, what was your uh, year, your Carmen Ghia? What year was that? Oh, it would have been uh, early sixties. Sixties, okay. Mine was the sixty-seven. So cool. Well, well, with the Carmen Ghia, I had a small a teardrop trailer, and I drove it, you know, down to Virginia a couple times, up to Nova Scotia, and you know, with forty horsepower and a trailer on the back, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine pulling a trailer with the Carmen Ghia. Yeah, when I bought my car, it had the original 1600 cc engine. I immediately pulled that out, and we built it up to a 2110. 
put dual carbs on it and, you know, make it go a little bit faster. But I can't, still can't imagine pulling a trailer behind that thing. Well, it's a, you know, with a, with a 400 pound trailer, you can do that. So the, the trailer held a single bed. So that was about it. But, yeah. Um, I took my kids off on a, on a, uh, some, a couple of trips and we were vagabonding, you know, and the vagabonding was, uh, a very, very nice, um, bonding situation for us also. Yeah. Fantastic. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Well, I'd want that Austin back, the first car I ever had. Oh, okay. It was a 1947. And if you think about it, the in 1947, I'm not sure Britain made very many cars. because Post-war, it, yeah. Yeah, it was two, door, two, two years after, or imported them to the United States. And it had 10 horsepower, little tiny four-cylinders <laughs> and engine. And it had a fold-out windshield and clamshell fenders and running boards. But, yeah. Uh, it would be in a museum now, I think. I just sold a 35-year-old Porsche that I had, that I had bought as a, um, it needed everything. Mm-hmm. And I sold that just recently because I'm going to be doing some, uh, some commuting, I think. I'm, I'm working as a consultant for the um, Palmer racetrack that they're building in Massachusetts now. Oh, cool. And so if I'm going to be commuting, I probably don't want the 35-year-old car. <laughs> yeah, some some a little better gas mileage, maybe a little more reliable. How about vehicle that you bought that shortly after you said to yourself, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? A three-cylinder, two-cycle Saab. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and they were a pretty neat little car, but and they were, you know, built by an airplane manufacturer uh, at that time. Yeah. And so, uh, but that was an unusual vehicle. Yeah, I've heard many sob stories over the years. So, how about current projects? Is there something right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, I'm working as a uh, consultant with the Palmer Racetrack, which they've just blasted out of the mountainsides in the middle of up near Springfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And it's a phenomenal racetrack. And, and, and there's absolutely no provisions for spectators. So it's just a driver's track. Oh, wow. Yep. And it has a this, this serious elevation changes and it's got uh, hairpins and it's, it's got 15 turns. Pretty wonderful, wonderful track. But among other tracks around the country, because I've gone to most of them, most of the big road courses anyways, and Charlotte and, and um, uh, Daytona and, you know, Homestead and like that, but on the road courses. Mm-hmm. This track is kind of unique because it's a brand new track and they've spent just incredible amounts of money pushing rock. It's almost like building your own interstate through the woods, through the mountains. Wow. And there's another racetrack that they, is being built up in Tamworth, New Hampshire, that's a club track, and that's about two and a half miles long also, and that's a, a substantial project. Skip himself over at Lime Rock has just done a big renovation on the paddock and the spectator areas. Cool. And so there's a lot happening in the road racing business right now. It's good to see. Yeah, it's good to see, and I hope that the, um, I hope that the clientele supports it enough so that they can succeed, because once a race gone and you never get it back yeah yeah we saw that with riverside of course yep and uh many others around the country now here's a very introspective question for you bob if you were a car what kind of car would you be and this question isn't about what kind of car you wish you were it's how you (laughs) it's how you we all want to be a ferrari right it's how you perceive yourself Actually, at this point in my life, <laughs> that's, um, I just bought a little uh, Mercedes SLK. It's a 99, 
which is just right for me because it's it's not flashy it's but it's 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 quality you know it has nice curb appeal mm -hmm. but if i were to to select what i was going to be i would probably be uh you know a going uh, <laughs> you know i would I, I, I drove one of the first ones in the country sam posey and uh john fitch had it for doing some uh journalist articles uh, -huh. uh and they invited me over, and I said, mm, this is me, man. Yeah. But for the brutality of it, for the strength and the power, I would be a, uh, a Viper. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, there's quite a mix of cars between the SLK, the Viper, and the Gullwing. It's kind of the old, the new, the not-so-flashy, and the flashy. So. <laughs> I got a couple Jeeps, too, and I'll tell you, I got a Wrangler Jeep with a plow on it, and it does phenomenal. <laughs> Very cool underappreciated as a performance car <laughs> there you go there you go well bob up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to one of our cars yeah sponsors no more worries about a dead battery i've got the noco genius boost jump starter this compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car boat truck or rv it packs a whopping 12 volt 400 amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. Includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at Genius Charger Okay, Bob, we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag is out. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. All right. What's the best automotive you advice you've ever racing, received? Start with the big one. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few guests have said that. And I've experienced that myself with vintage racing, as we talked about in our pre-show checklist here. So would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? I think perpetual effort. I don't, you know, I, I don't sit back. I'm old enough to be retired. My wife calls me semi-retired, but we always seem to, my wife is uh, hyperactive too, and as hyperactive senior citizens, overeducated, <laughs> we constantly have activity, and if we were to retire, we'd get more busy. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners that you're really fond of? Carl Lopez wrote the Going Faster book for Skip Barber years ago, and if you want to get involved in racing, that has all the background material. And so, you know, what if I'm doing a curriculum for a driving program, I can always consult that. I have a copy of um, the centered skier Denise McCluggage wrote when she was quite quite a bit younger. Oh, yes, and that's a wonderful, wonderful book. But it's it's not about skiing as much as it is life philosophy. And I knew Denise a bit, and, and um, she was always pretty inspirational to me because she wasn't a quitter, and she put a lot of effort in. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we lost Denise a few weeks ago, and I was very fortunate to have her as a guest here on Cars. Yeah, and she talked mm -hmm. about that book a bit during her discussion with me. And uh, yeah, wonderful lady. I got to spend a little time with her at Pebble Beach. That was uh, pretty special. So that's great. When Skip owned the Skip Barber Company, he 
gave us a foot in a foot in the door in terms of this traffic safety program. When he sold the company, they pulled the plug on it, but we've been able to maintain it. And the Porsche Club, Connecticut Valley Porsche Club, and the Porsche Porsche Club of the United States is the largest car club in the states. But the Connecticut mm-hmm. Valley folks have been supporters of ours, and so they contribute to some to survive the drive, so we can do these high school programs. And so the resources, essentially, you know, if you want to be involved in motorsports, the best way to do it, I think, is to join a club. You know, whether it's a individual Mark Club, the Corvette Club, or the Porsche Club, or whatever, because they hold events. And whether you're on a tour through the countryside or going to inns, or, or uh, you know, and, and you know, if you have motorcycles, they do the same thing, except with. You know, the brutality of mm-hmm. some of the things that have happened in the last couple of days. We have the mobility and we have the road system to experience the world. And, you know, hopefully we yep. can enjoy the world before it gets totally urbanized, you know, and enjoy that. <laughs> and there are people among us that love to drive, you know, before the technology and the manufacturers decide that we can't drive. You're not allowed to drive. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> I hope they don't take us down that road too far. But uh, I wrote a blog about that in my weekly blog. As you know, and as you are, probably you and I share the same thoughts on that. I think it has its place, but not in my life. <laughs> I'd like to be in control of my vehicle. Let's just say if there were 10,000 cars being run on a computerized system and it failed, you'd have 10,000 crashes within seconds. Uh, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> well, listeners, you can find all these great resources at com slash Bob Green. Just put Bob in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. You mentioned earlier, Bob, I was going to ask you if you have any uh, hobbies outside of your passion for cars. Well, the skiing. I enjoy skiing. I started skiing when I was about 40, trying to keep up with my kids. And, uh, you know, I find it's going to be a lifelong thing for me. Uh, I ski with a fellow who's 93 years old, and he is a kick butt skier. I'm a pretty good skier. Wow. And, okay. um, but skiing and kayaking, family stuff, you know, there's no lack of activity, not in my household. Very good. I love that. We're up to the checkered flag here, Bob, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and I'll include collector race cars since you like getting out on the track maybe your choice will be a vintage race car i don't know but money's no object today i'm going to buy you whatever you'd like i think it would be an early going just because of its presence and it's it was revolutionary at that point that would be a wonderful car but i would take um i i don't know if you're if you're buying <laughs> i'm buying today yeah well, Gullwing is a pretty special car, and uh, I think you have a, a great choice there. I've had several other guests choose Gullwings, and uh, we just went through uh, Amelia Island there with uh, Sir Sterling Moss with the, the SL Roadster, of course, that uh, they had there on the course. And one of my other guests, Dwight T. Knowlton, is just coming out with a, a new book about that race that Sir Sterling and Jenks took in uh, the SL. So, yeah, those are magnificent cars. I've had the luxury of driving a Roadster version of that car and what's amazing to me is how yeah. modern the car feels for a car that's I that drove old. a 19 uh, i think it was a 58 ferrari once 275 i think and the owner of it mm-hmm. rode with me and we were on a, a short test course and i squealed the tires a little bit and he said uh how'd you like it and i said it really fulfilled my dream because it was just gorgeous gorgeous car beautiful totally perfect and he said, how do you think it drove? And I said, well, like an old car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the way some of those are. 
Well, Bob, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yell listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that going Mercedes? Driving requires consciousness, attention to detail. We can't be complacent when we're driving, especially on the highway. We share it with ourselves and others. Great advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the programs you're involved in? To survive the Drive, www.survivethedrive.org. Don't do .com. You get a rock man in Chicago. Uh, you know, .org. <laughs> uh, we're a not-for-profit. We work on donations and uh, sponsorships to be able to bring teenage driver programs to assemblies and high schools all over, mostly in New England and neighboring New York State. But I've talked to 130,000 kids, mm -hmm. and uh, we have a wow. high-tech fellow on our board, and he's... Uh, you know, his his knowledge of probability and statistics. So he said, you save the lives of 10 to 12 kids. Wow. Wow. It's a wonderful program that you're involved in and uh, commend you for doing it. It's so important. It's something that's really needed, and especially now, as you mentioned, with the diversion of cell phones and texting and, and all the things that our teenagers these days are distracted by. So I commend you for that. And obviously, the Skip Barber Racing School, their website, we'll put that up on your show notes page as well, of course, because you're involved with them. So uh, appreciate that. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today, again, at carsyad.com. Just put Bob in the search box, his show notes page pop up, and you can find everything that we've discussed here today. Bob, thanks for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Let's do it again. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.